Philippians. Philippians chapter 4. And as you make your way there, I have one more announcement that I apologize. I am doing this out of order, Tim. But we have some very important guests here with us this week that I want to acknowledge and just point out to our church family. We have been praying for quite some time about uh, someone to come and help us with our, our youth ministry and kind of help with family ministries here at KBC. And we uh, are so, so thankful that the Lord has connected us to the Sturkin family. Uh, David and Erica are here with their eight kids. So Tiedemann is not in the picture. He's an infant just born, how, how long ago, Erica? Two months ago. So um, he's not in the picture, but that's their beautiful family right there. And if you all can turn around, I won't make them stand up, but maybe you can wave to everybody and we'll wave back. And we're so excited that you're here with us and that we get to worship the Lord with you this morning. Uh, they'll be around for the next two Sundays uh, to, to get to know us, to worship with us. Uh, Dave will be teaching at youth group for the next two weeks. Uh, so we invite you to come on out for that. And uh, just, you know, observe and encourage him as he does that. And then a reminder that next week uh, we will be having a, a potluck here at KBC. So it's going to happen after Sunday school. And uh, there should be a sign-up sheet in the back. Uh, so it's an opportunity to bring a main dish, a side dish, or a dessert. And the church will provide everything else for that potluck. Um, but... Again, it's an opportunity to fellowship, and we'll have them, after a time of fellowship and eating, come back into the main auditorium here, and we'll be able to ask them some questions uh, about their beliefs as, and kind of their practices as we pray for them and pray for ourselves. If this would be a good fit, would God have them come to join our church family and to help serve in, in the youth ministry? So appreciate those prayers. Uh, keep keep praying. All right, Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. I'm going to go ahead and I'm just going to read that to start our time. If you are there, again, I ask you to stand with me. We stand in the honor of reading God's word. Please stand if you are able. It says this, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Let's pray. Father God, again, we come before you with humble and submissive hearts. We pray that you would make much of your son 
teach us, Lord, for the glory of his great name we ask. Amen. Let's be seated. So what a blessing it is to be gathered together with the church this morning. Amen. For worship of the one true living God. I say this sentence and I believe this sentence with all my heart. Week in and week out, I think this, I say it. But sometimes I ask myself, do I truly understand the statement? What a blessing it is to be gathered together with the church, the bride of Christ. What a blessing it is to be a part of this fellowship, to grow together with you. And to pursue Jesus together with you. To worship Him through truth. We have truth. And we can worship Him in truth together. What an absolute joy. Maybe, to the surprise of many here, I often thank the Lord for something that has happened in the recent past. Something called COVID. And the shutdowns. And don't throw tomatoes at me. It's not because I liked it. (laughs) There was a lot of frustrations that it brought our way. But I thank the Lord for what going through COVID accomplished in me. And what I saw accomplished in our church when we were unable to meet together for several weeks during the spring of 2020. It caused our hearts to truly appreciate one another once again. And that blessing that it is to gather with the body of Christ on the Lord's day. It made me realize that I took this blessing, this real tangible blessing from the Lord that he gives me over and over and over again. I just started taking it for granted. I don't know about you, but every week since I've thanked the Lord. And I've asked God to not let me take it for granted again. Renew in me this joy of what we get to do together as a church family. And by God's grace, he gives us truth in his word. Truths like passages that we have before us this morning. Philippians 4, 1 through 5. Where we cannot but hold the reality of what God has given to us in one another in very, very high esteem. Philippians 4, 1 through 5 is a reminder of the beauty of what God has given to us relationally in the church. And it's a reminder of how we must fight for it. We must fight for healthy, Christ-honoring relationships in our body. We must fight for one another. We must fight for Christ and keep his name pure in our midst. That's what Philippians 4, 1 through 5 is all about. And the only way that others can see Christ in his glorious gospel is through us. We're reminded of that this morning. And I say this. It's not just in us as individuals, as we go throughout our lives, 
when we leave these four walls. But what we see in Philippians 4, 1 through 5, is that it's a together us. It's the body of Christ being the body. The world seeing it. And seeing Christ. It's an us. This morning we will observe once again a beautiful relationship demonstrated through the Apostle Paul and the believers at Philippi. And it's a model relationship for us. And then we will observe Paul's plea for the church to fight for unity in Christ as there was trouble a Bruin. And again, hopefully we will be challenged to appreciate more and more what we have together. We will be challenged to fight. To fight for Christ and to fight for one another here at KVC. So Paul starts us off with this warm, loving word hug. It's like a word hug for the believers at Philippi. He says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crowned, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. He says it again. <clears throat> again, the therefore. What is it therefore? I believe this therefore is here to really show the culmination of his letter. Everything Paul has been writing to the Philippians about, everything that has gone before is pushing to this one point in the book. And before he makes this point, before he confronts something that's going on in the church, which is why he's taught so much throughout the book, before he makes his point, Paul makes sure to love on the believers at Philippi. He makes sure that they understand the love that he has for them. He called them my brothers. Hey, they're not just brothers. They're my brothers, personal. Paul says, you are my family. My family in Jesus. Paul wants to put our and the Philippians church attention on the truth. There is something so much bigger and far beyond better that unites us in the body of Christ. Something bigger and better than anything this world can offer us. Something bigger and better than anything that could ever divide us. And again, what is it? It's love. It's the love of Jesus Christ. It's agape, Christ-centric selfless, servant-minded love. That's what he's been talking about in the whole book. Paul says it twice in this short verse. He says, whom I love, and at the end he calls him my beloved. He calls the believers in Philippi his family, those whom he loves with a self-sacrificial service that which we see modeled in Jesus Christ himself. The Philippian believers are those who he says he, he longs for, those whom he longs for. This long for in the text, it speaks to a deep pain of separation between loved ones. It's that feeling that we get when we're apart from one another, beloved. Beloved. It's that longing that we get when 
we are apart. That longing that we had during COVID when we were separated. It's that longing to get together again in fellowship, service, and in worship unto the King. There's nothing like it. It's that same longing that sweethearts feel for one one another when they're separated from one another for an extended period of time. Think about that. Have you ever been in a long-distance relationship? Or not? Have you ever had a child or a spouse or a loved one go away for an extended period of time? That longing in your guts... Can you feel it? Can you picture it? Can you imagine it? Well, my question is, do we feel that for one another? I believe that we felt it over COVID. Are we growing in that? If we were separated now, would the longing be greater? Paul wants us to feel it. He wants us to identify this longing in our own hearts. He then identifies the Philippian church as his joy and his crown. Paul says that the truth of life that the Philippian believers have in Jesus Christ, that the life that they have in him is his source of joy. His joy is not based on circumstances. We all remember what his circumstances are. He's under house arrest. He's chained to a prison guard. He's awaiting trial. In this trial, he might lose his life. No, Paul's joy is not tied to his circumstances. Paul's joy comes from remembering when on that Sabbath day, he went outside the city walls in Philippi and he went to the river and he met Lydia. You remember the story? The historical narrative? He remembers sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with her and how the Lord opened Lydia's heart to pay attention to what the Apostle Paul said. It's a quote from Acts 16. She trusted in the Lord there. She trusted in Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. And he remembered her baptism and then staying at her home and sharing the gospel with others and they would come and meet in Lydia's home. He would remember seeing several people come to know the Lord there in Philippi. He would also have remembered being thrown into jail for healing that young girl who had the unclean spirit. This caused the men who were making money off of her divinations to attack Paul and get him thrown in jail, only then to have Paul and Silas singing hymns at night and meeting the jailer the jailer coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Him and his entire household. He would have remembered seeing him and them repent of their sins and believing in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. The entire household converted. These memories, these real life memories, relationships, This is what the Apostle Paul thought of. They went their separate ways and they kept in contact. And he heard of the believer's faith. It's growing. And their partnership with him in the gospel until now. 
even through trials. This is what brought Paul joy. His life was sold out for Jesus and serving others and bringing Jesus to others. So when he recalls them, they're his joy. He also calls them his crown. This word refers to the reward that a runner gets by finishing well and winning a race. It's presented to a person who is honored by his peers as a symbol of success for a fruitful race. The Philippian believers were proof of Paul's success in the race. They were his crown. They were proof of Paul's success in Christ. They're his joy. He sees the fruit of Christ in their lives. And it means he ran well. So question number one. As we observe this relationship that Paul stresses, can we say this about anyone here at KBC? Are you investing in others here the way that Paul invested in the Philippian believers? Is your joy wrapped up in the body of believers that God has called you to covenant with at Kentwood Baptist Church? Do you have little crowns seated around this room? Those whom you are investing in, those who will one day be your joy and your crown. God's reward to you to show that you are following him. That there's growth around you as a result of Christ's work in you and through you to others. It's my prayer that Paul's heart for the Philippian church would be our heart here at KBC for one another. And understand this. I think this is vital. We cannot be close to every single person who is a part of the church family here, right? We can't be close, intimately close, and have this type of relationship that he's referring to with all who worship together at KBC or all who come through the doors. It's just not a reality. But I want us to see something here. I want us to know and understand what's taking place. I am close with many here. And many here have invested in me. And I believe that I am a crown, and hopefully, (laughs) I hope I'm a joy for several in our midst, those who have really taken to investing in me. And I hope I can say the same for several here, that the Lord has allowed me to really invest in others here, And I've become close and intimate in our relationship together. And it's because of this, this reality of the closeness that I have maybe in a smaller group. It's because of that and my understanding of how important the body of Christ is for my life in Christ. So believing that truth, it's because of all these things together that I can look at our church family and I can say to all of you, I dearly love you. 
I really do. And God has used this body in profound ways in my life. And I want to commit to this body as a whole then. This is what we do when we covenant together in church membership. So even though I might not be super close with every single person here, I believe through what God does in the local body of believers, my heart is for the whole church. And again, my desire is that that would be you as well. My desire is that God would draw our hearts together. So oftentimes what we have in our lives as Christians is we have the people who we are close to, the people who are investing in us, oftentimes are actually outside of the local body of faith. Those that we covenant together with. And I'm not saying that's wrong. It's okay to have relationships with those outside of our church family. But we cannot do it at the neglect of one another. This is the body God has called us to. This is the body God has called us to grow in, to serve with, to reach out with. And God's wise in that. He's given us one another, so we need to pursue one another. So again, you may not be close with everyone here, but if you are not close with anyone here, outside of, let's say, your biological family, then I'll say that's a problem. There's a problem, and we need to invest more in each other. Truly invest. Pursue closeness with Jesus with others that make up our family of faith here. Not just similar hobbies or interests. Let's pursue Jesus together with the people seated around this room. Not just coming to worship, but when we leave, who are we accountable to? Who are we pursuing Christ with? Invest so that we might say more and more. And others amongst us in this body might say more and more that in here is our joy. In here are our crowns. And I promise you, if we do this, God will make this body winsome for Christ. We will be effective at reaching the loss for Jesus if we do this. And we'll see in a second here. A command then comes from Paul's heartfelt connection to the Philippian believers. He says, stand firm thus in the Lord. Stand firm is a military term used to command and and to tell a soldier to stand their post. Well, where is our post? Our post is is in Christ. It gives us the idea that we are at war. So connection to Christ is then vital for us. Paul's command is, Church, together, stand firm in your Lord. Defend Him. Be about Him. Draw near to Him. Because opposition will come. In fact, it's already coming for the Philippian believers. It had come from without. And we're going to see in a second here, it also comes from within. So be close to Jesus. Be ready by being solid in your relationship with Him. 
And Paul now gets to the issue. He identifies the issue in Philippians 4.2. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. First, understand this. Paul's affections for the church are not misplaced. This is a church with problems, right? And in order to have true unity, we must learn to deal with our problems in a Christ-like and a Christ-honoring way. So there's problems. Why? Why are there problems in the church? Because the church is made up of born-again believers in Jesus Christ. That's why. There's problems in the church because of me. There's problems in the church because of you. There's no such thing as a perfect church this side of heaven. Okay? We are born-again believers in Jesus Christ who still sin. There are imperfections in us. And remember this, joy in the church family does not come from what others give me. Joy for you does not come from what others give you. It comes from investing Christ in others. That's why Paul could say they were his joy. Not because of what they gave him. Because of what he gave to them and what he saw Christ doing in their lives. Hey, this is an imperfect church with real problems. KBC is. And so was the church at Philippi. So Paul addresses it. And then he addresses it by name. Think about that. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. There's conflict between, between two women in the church. Real conflict. Enough so that it is damaging the church as a whole and has the capacity to hurt the church's witness in Philippi. There's no theological reason given for their disagreement in the text. Therefore, as Paul is willing to go to the extent of listing their names, which is huge. Think about what's happening here. <laughs> but he doesn't give a list of theological issues. So it has led many to believe that this is just, it's a personal matter between these two ladies. It's not a doctrinal issue. It's a personal issue between them. So let's see what we can learn about these two women from the text as they're not listed anywhere else in Scripture. Verse 3 tells us that their names are in the book of life. What does that tell us about them? They're believers. They're Christians like you and I who have problems, and they can get into fights, and they're in a fight. Okay? And they're not just believers. They're not just casual attenders of the church at Philippi. They were faithful servants in the church. Verse 3, he names them who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement, a leader in the church, and the rest of my fellow workers. Labor means wrestling. Serious labor. I was a wrestler. It's hard, okay? I don't look like a wrestler anymore, but I was at one time in my life a wrestler, a skinny kid in high school. But she, 
These ladies are wrestling with Paul and Clement, probable leader in the church, along with the rest. They're faithful servants, probably quite influential as what they're doing in their divide between one another is causing serious problems in the church. So Paul calls them out by name. Folks, imagine if I did that. (laughs) Imagine if there was something that was a big deal and I brought it up in front of the church congregation and I just, I'm reading a letter and I identify names in that letter. This is being read in front of the whole church congregation. And you know what? It's, think about this. It's still being read in front of our church congregation today. All over the globe. Different languages. Yodia and Syntyche. <laughs> well, why might Paul risk embarrassing them like this? Because the unity of the church is at stake. It's the name of Jesus is at stake. And this is a big, big deal. Unity in the body is huge. It's the primary thing that Jesus prayed for when he prayed for us in his high priestly prayer. John 17. Okay? So Paul is not interested in a fake unity. He wants a real unity. And we're going to get there in a moment of how do we have real unity. But first he says, I entreat. He says this twice. Once for each of the ladies. Okay? Understand this, I entreat. It it tells us that this is not like a heavy-handed command. But it means he's begging them. He's imploring them. I appeal to you. Strong appeal. And notice it's to each woman. Each woman in this argument. What is Paul teaching us? He teaches us that unity comes from each side doing their part. Each side doing their part. Paul is not saying, okay, Yodia, and okay, Syntyche, you are at odds with one another. And I'm sure you both have good reasons to be at odds with each other. There's probably some valid arguments that each one of you have. So let's say this, let's each compromise a little bit and let's meet together 50-50 in the middle and hopefully then we'll come together and be unified. Is that biblical unity? No, it's not. If that's how you approach relational reconciliation in your life, you will never be unified. And trust me, there's always conflict with relationships in our lives. We're sinners. No, Paul appeals to each. And he says this, each one of you has to agree in the Lord together. Agree in the Lord means together, in one, at the same place, at the same time. They need to be in a certain frame of mind. And that frame of mind is found in Christ, in the Lord, in Yahweh. Paul says that together, Yodia and Syntyche need to put their own foolish personal desires aside and together need to have the mind that is in Christ Jesus. They need to have that towards one another. 
But what is that mind? Did I just spark any memories of things we've preached through in the book of Philippians? Oh boy, I hope so. Philippians 2, turn back a page or two. Philippians 2, starting in verse 2, he says this. He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind. That's the exact same phrase in chapter 4 when he says, agree in the Lord. Have the same mind. Having the same love. Being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. This is Paul's instruction for these ladies who are, they're not idiots. They're not fools. There's real strife going on in their life. We don't know what it is, but it's real to them. This other person probably hurt them. They're at odds with one another. And he says, lay it aside and put them before yourself. It's not you come 50 and I'll come 50 and we'll meet in the middle. No, Paul is telling these women who disagree to put the other before themselves. To seek to serve the other person in Christ. To seek to do and to follow through by doing what is best for the other person. He says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And this is in the Lord. It's inside of Christ. That's where we find this mind. It's his mind. So what do we have to do? We've got to draw near to him. This is not normal for Iodia and Syntyche to do this. This is Christ's mind. So they've got to draw near to him. They've got to look at his example. They've got to ask him to help to do this for one another. Do what he has clearly done them. Look at the cross. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is where true unity comes from. Unity in any relationship does not come from waiting to see if the other party will come 50. What are they going to do? Are they going to do your part, their part? No, it comes from a surrendered heart to the Lord of looking to the cross and seeing what Jesus Christ, the only righteous one, has done for me. And I must then do that unto others. And I choose to go 100% regardless of how they respond to me. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
Is there possible sin in this relationship? Absolutely. Do we know there's sin in our relationship with Jesus? Absolutely, yes, we do. And what did Jesus Christ do? While we were yet sinners, he went 100%. And he drew you to himself with his great love. Do that with one another. Show this world what true love is. You've known it. You've experienced it in Christ. Give it to each other so the world can see it. We follow Christ's lead. We give ourselves 100% to serve the other. We forgive and we seek forgiveness from others. And we allow God to be our just judge and release the debt of another. Remember, this is not a small conflict. We see this actually in the next verse as Paul brings a third party in to help these ladies reconcile. This means they might not have been able to reconcile themselves. They need help. So in verse 3, Paul says, Yes, I also ask you, true companion, help these women. True companion here in verse 3 is either a reference to another leader at the church at Philippi, or it may even be, some believe, a leader's name. I'm going to do my best to say this right. Sizigas. Sizigas. Did I say that right? Even close? <laughs> it simply means, it's, it's the word for companion. Okay? But that might be the person's name. Regardless, this is Paul calling to the church to help in reconciliation and restoration of a broken relationship. We see him giving us this example and really this command instruction in Galatians 6.1 when he says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Paul is calling on the leadership of the church to lead and to lead specifically in the restoration process. Why? Because it is vitally important. We'll see in a moment why it's so important. But first, Paul gives a command that, again, might seem out of place, but it is so, 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 so in place if we get it. Verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. The Philippians, and specifically Yodia and Syntyche, are probably where right now? Overwhelmed? Divided? Broken? And they might not think that they can find their way out. I do not imagine them as intentionally being hateful towards one another. Maybe they are, I don't know, but I don't imagine that in my mind. Oftentimes, what I see in the church is miscommunication. And that leads to a cause for division. I said this, I meant this, they heard this, and they took it this way. And there's bitterness. 
and angst between one another. And it grows and grows and grows because we don't do what we need to do in order to handle the division amongst us. Miscommunication is by far the leading cause of divisions that I've seen in the church. Selfishness and getting my own way or doing things the way that I see fit also causes conflict in the body. But I tell you this, rarely have I seen people intentionally trying to harm others. I have seen that, but it is extremely rare. So put yourself in that circumstance. If you're in division or if you have been or if you are in the future, think the best of one another. Communicate. Imagine these faith I imagine these faithful servants are struggling with division and wanting to honor God and they're seeking to honor God and they're praying. God help us in our relationship relationship. So Paul gives them great advice that will unify their hearts. Rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice. Yes, even now ladies, even now in the midst of what you're feeling Again, rejoice. Rejoice in Jesus. Set your thoughts and your emotions and your affections on worshiping Him. Remember who He is. Remember what, he done, what He's done for you as an individual. And remember what He's done for the other individual. He's called you together as a body. And He says He's wise in doing this in Ephesians. That person that you're broken the relationship is broken with god is wise in bringing you together and though they might rub you the wrong way god wants to produce something in you that's better than your comfort it's better than them doing things the way you would want them to do things he's unified you in himself and this is how he unified you don't miss it by jesus shedding his blood That's what Jesus did in order to unify us together as a church family. That's a pretty big deal. That's a big deal. So rejoice. Rejoice in what he's done. And as we do that, I think God brings more clear into perspective what is happening. A practical way that I think this is done, I seen it done in my life it's happened in counseling sessions but something that i think that is worship that brings us together is prayer prayer is so powerful at unifying disciples of jesus unifying us in our lives you've heard it said that families that pray together stay together why is that well because it's hard to set our minds on jesus and on his cross, and to be praying to him together, and to stay divided horizontally with each other. When our eyes are on Christ, and we're praying to him together, when we rejoice in the Lord, he unifies us. Lastly, Paul gives instruction on how to come together and why. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. 
So how? The first question that he answers here is how? Reasonableness means gentleness. Gentleness. Remember Galatians 6.1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Same word. Show forth the fruit of the spirit in your life, the fruit of the gospel, and that as you come together, you actually love one another the way Christ loves you. You respect one another in Christ. So as you bring something to one another, you bring it in a gentle way. Proverbs 51 says this, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So how do we approach one another in order to facilitate unity? Not in anger, not in bitterness, Bring that to the Lord first. And when we come to each other, we come in gentleness. We come in respect. Why? So that the reality of the gospel in you would be seen by everyone. The world is watching. They are listening. And as they are watching and listening... If we proclaim a gospel that says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then someone sins against us in our family of faith, and we can't get over it. Or somebody doesn't do something the way we want, and we can't get over it, and we divide. You know what that says about the gospel? It's not true. Is the gospel true? The gospel is true. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. Right? It's from faith for faith. We shall live by faith. We believe it. It's true. We have this in Christ. He's shown us his mind. We can forgive. We can walk in unity. A bunch of sinners like us. We can show this world the truth of the gospel. In word and in deed. We can do it. Not in our own strength. Because of Jesus' strength in us. Because of what he has proclaimed. And what he does as a result of his shed blood on the cross. Everything. Your justification. Your conformity into Christ. The power necessary to be conformed into Christ. The truth that you need to right your wrong thinking so you pursue truth and righteousness. The glory that awaits you. Everything has been prayed for, bought by Jesus Christ. It's promised. Believe it. Continue in your faith. And I tell you this, when we do it before this world, and and take heart, when we fall short, what do we do? We repent and we confess And we ask for forgiveness and we keep pursuing Christ together. And when the world sees that and they see real people with real sin problems and they're actually being changed and they're modeling the gospel, what they say is, wow, this message is reasonable. It's reasonable. It's true. And God uses it to draw others to himself. 
That's your job. That's my job. That's what we do together as a body of believers. That's why we need to pursue one another. We can't do that with relationships over the phone. We can't do that with relationships over the internet. We've got to be together. People have got to see us interacting, and they've got to see the gospel in action. Who's your joy? Who's your crown here? Get joy from one another. Get little crowns around this room. There's a bunch of beautiful, beautiful little crowns downstairs. Right? Invest yourself in one another. It may seem easier said than done, but realize again, there is a promise for help at the end of this verse. The Lord is at hand. This means the Lord is near. It means he's with you. It speaks to the Lord caring about us and caring about these situations, and he's close. It speaks of him being our helper. He's with us. He's near. And he's able to reconcile even the hardest of circumstances. That circumstance that Yodia and Sintiki thought, you know, we can't do it. We're just going to have to divide. No, no, no. The Lord is near, and he can bring unity. Remember, we're dead in our trespasses and in our sins. We were without hope, sons of disobedience, and we're by nature children of wrath. But, Ephesians 2, 4, God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, Even when we were dead, even when there was no hope, he made us alive. Together with Christ, for by grace you've been saved. He's made you alive, and he's near you, and he promises to help you and to bring unity for the glory of his great name. Christ has done this. Christ can Make us unified. Trust in him and pursue Christ-like love and unity amongst the brethren here. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the truth of your word. Thank you, God, that you are enough. Thank you that the cross gives us everything we need, that your word gives us everything we need for life and for godliness. You've given us your spirit. You've given us the power that you use even to raise Jesus Christ from the dead. The power of the Spirit lives within us. And you want to answer your prayer that you made on our behalf in the garden. That we would be unified. That we would be sanctified by truth. So Lord, would you do that? Would you unify our church family? Would you sanctify us together for the glory of Christ's name? And would you use us in a mighty way, Father, to reach out to those around us and show the living and active and powerful God that you are in our midst? All this we pray, not for our glory, but for the great name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said,